different gravy not just another sheffield wednesday podcast i'm one of the hosts richard miller and my co-host is happy to tell anyone that will listen that he's not on different gravy for the money he could earn more money in greece he could earn more money anywhere he could earn more money busking he says in a way that is totally ingratiating and not a bit smug in any way at all he's my friend and yours dr luke gledall how are you doing today luke <laughs> good how are you today rich I'm all right. Yes. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, we're hot on the heels of uh, of yet another <laughs> weekend ruined by Wednesday. But um, mm-hmm. maybe I'm becoming inert or immune to it. I, I did enjoy having a Saturday without having to worry about Wednesday, to be honest, um, which maybe is a bad sign <laughs> in terms of dedication and uh, and mental state. Um did you have similar sort of feelings? I had the weird thing. I mean, we can get into this and looking at the news, but I had that weird thing where I, I kind of missed my midweek disappointment of watching. Right, okay. So I don't know. I don't know what's wrong with You've me. You've grown accustomed to midweek mis- misery, and uh, I think so. Yeah, can't imagine life without it. Mm. Oh yeah, I've got to say, I, I just. Um, I just watched other things and uh, just didn't feel sad. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> generally, that was, uh, yeah, it was a welcome, a welcome break. Okay, so I mean, we should probably get into this. There has it has been a big week in terms of news, hasn't it? So let's, um, if if you don't mind, let's get ourselves into that uh, that headspace. Breaking hoo hoos. I don't know what's particularly the best order to tackle this, but um, we've had the long-awaited late accounts, and I did see somebody, and it may well have been um, Neil on on Al's talk saying the one thing you can guarantee with accounts is that nobody will agree on how to read them, um, and I have seen several different takes, but the club is losing one and a half million a month. Seems to be the the sort of takeaway headline. That seems um, about right. Which we're entirely at the mercy of our our benefactor then to to keep the club club afloat and keep servicing those those losses. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I was trying to work out the maths of our punishment and the ground sale and whether we'll see any benefit of the ground sale now in terms of financial fair play and do you do you want to share your uh beautiful your beautiful drawings pen pen biro masterpiece on the in the show notes for this one rich because i quite enjoyed that i must admit i can do yeah um just as a sort of you know my mind sort of wandered during my, my work week it has to be said but um you know well there's the fact we can only be punished for a, a group of three-year losses once so that group of three years that ended with the points deduction this year, that finished, well, that, that, so that was 2018 we were punished for, but we weren't punished until 2020, 2021. Uh, anyway, yeah, I'll, I'll share my, 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 um, my sort of beautiful mind moment of, um, of different bits and pieces. But 
it, it feels like the worst possible option is have is getting punished for one year and then the ground sale that was supposed to dope the figures going through the next year. And I wonder how much time has been spent looking at whether there was a way that we could make the ground sale happen, not not the year following the the punishment and actually some some point closer to now. Um, I, I suspect that might be part of why there's been such a long delay is just looking at every angle to try and possibly um, make that pay off in some way. Because effectively, we, we only have one year where we're not being punished that the ground sale will benefit us. And that falls right in the middle of COVID times, which have slightly loosened rules anyway. Anyway, it doesn't look a wonderful picture. We knew that we were just surviving on the whims of uh, John Chan's theory. It's it's absolutely confirmed by this set of accounts. I don't understand the ground shenanigans, but that doesn't feel particularly... doesn't give me warm, fuzzy feelings. <laughs> do, you, do you have any thoughts on, on the kind of headlines coming away from that? Um, the, wasn't there an interesting thing about the um, supposed... Uh, compensation for a manager, which is rumored oh, yes. that rumor that if we're putting two and two together, that if you're talking about compensation, that's because there's a figure of compensation of about six million. That's right. And then somebody, somebody, one person in the Twitter sphere or journalism or seeming financial expert said, well, that's compensation for a manager. So therefore, two plus two equals. Bruce. Steve Bruce. Which it seemed like a tidy sum. So it was just, it was in the region of sort of 7 million or something, wasn't it? That's, uh, that's astonishing. Yeah. That's the best bit of transfer business that the club has. It is. It is. I, I definitely think so. Yeah. I don't remember ever selling a player for that. We're looking at conjecture of potentially Lucas Zhao being rumored to be around the kind of 5 million mark. Okay. Which at the time seemed like a brilliant deal for Sheffield Wednesday. Might not be looking so rosy now that he's no, not. No. He's probably no. scored as many as, almost as scored as many as Sheffield Wednesday have scored across the entirety of the squad. Oh dear, yes. Right now. So, but, but yeah, no, that is, that is astonishing considering we seem to be running a business model, which this will probably be linked to the next piece we talk about. I think we can talk about next is players being eyed by other clubs. So we can yeah. talk about, well, let's just have a look at this right now. I mean, it's such a weird standard, the fact that I want to talk about, like, it's incredibly sad that our record signing is going to leave on a free. Yeah. And also then previous to that, was probably another previous kind of signing up there of Adam Reach, who was probably, if we're thinking about this, probably around... Maybe the deal is structured with add-ons, but to be kind of around the four to five million mark, I think that was kind of touted at the time. Yeah. And he's probably going to go on a free as well. But then there's also the follow-up to this. I was chatting with my oldest brother about Sheffield Wednesday, as I often do. And it's like, well, do you want to keep these players? I'm like, no. But <laughs> <laughs> it's just that, like... This is the this is what we talked about. Um, I think the classic example of this is um, is Ozil at uh, at Arsenal. It's the yes, yes. It's the accounting exercise of a football player, and yes, it, it it seems strange to have such huge outlays for these guys, and then they leave for nothing. 
but then the thought of handing them a contract to try and realize some of that value is right to try and appeal that kind of amortize it amortis yep you know what i'm saying say it yeah please say it because i can't pronounce it a a amortization is it amortization i believe yes i don't know anyway to stop them going to the morgue and crumbling we freeze them in carbonite a la han solo (laughs) yes yes it's the only way Mm. but essentially that's how you end up in these situations where it's players that actually the manager doesn't really want they don't really play that much but for the sake of losing the potential payday Mm. they they get kept on and you do players benefit from this massively because they just keep racking up contracts they get better Ozil has been in a position where he would get a better contract at Arsenal than anywhere else and Arsenal can't afford to not give him the terms he wants <laughs> so that he he is he has grown as you know has got very very healthy uh, returns on this weird paradox that exists for, for yes for, for, he has for, been the weird looking poster boy of such a thing and, <laughs> she, and Sheffield Wednesday is saying if we if we freeze an expensive turd, is it still an expensive turd? <laughs> well, the flip side of that is that you just bite the bullet and you let players go when you've spent huge transfer sums. Uh, you let them go for, for nothing. And that's where we're, we're at the other side of that, where we haven't made that, you know, we haven't made the decision to try and save, you know, save whatever we can from that. We're just letting them disappear. Uh, I mean, maybe we've offered contracts. I, I wouldn't be surprised if Reach has been offered a contract, but then I also would be very surprised if he stayed on. Um, yeah, exactly. Well, we're probably going to look to a reduction on his terms, right? I mean, because again, it's they're perfect players to go in this championship. They're perfect players to get new opportunities at new clubs that might be able to realize and give them a new lease of life maybe put an arm around them and maybe put them in a situation where they have a defined role within a defined system, which I think has been the problem of all players at Sheffield Wednesday. Particularly Reach, I think Yeah, just because you're capable of something doesn't mean you should be given that task. Um, and he's been given tasks that he was just about capable of so many times. Um, and... It's been at the expense of his game and our game because there's things he's very good at and he should really just be given a position where he can concentrate on that. Although it is hilarious. I mean, we, we were on Sky again and it is, it's so funny how players' perceptions get like baked in at a certain point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. I just eat the same. So, I mean, to be fair, John Rhodes did his bit today. You know, he's a great goal scorer. He's so natural in those moments. Um, and with reach, it's like, oh, he scores worldies. And it's like, well, when yeah. was the last time he did? And like, yeah, no. he had two efforts today that were dreadful. And it's like, well, you don't mind him having those. Like, well, no, that's all he ever does now. Um, but it's amazing, that reputation. And, and I, I actually think that laziness and that long-term reputation will earn them contracts, both those players, as they leave. Because for all the money ball, look at the figures, look at the numbers... You will get some old clodder who trusts his 
I, I don't look at the numbers. I trust my art. I know when I speak to a player what's in there. And, you know, like there'll be one of them and they'll hand, mm. they'll hand out contracts to them because they saw, you know, they've seen the YouTube where Adam Reach hits 10 wonderful goals. And the fact that, you know, it's now some of those clips are in black and white. It's been so long. Doesn't seem to matter. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a mad, it's a mad, mad world uh, football. But seeing them being eyed up, does that frustrate you in that you sort of think, well, clearly there's a market here. Maybe we should have tried to get rid of them earlier or not really? Well, that's the problem. The the problem then becomes again is like I've zero faith in Sheffield Wednesday to replace these players. Yeah. I don't know. I I, I genuinely don't know. It's a bit like, you know, we we live in modern times where – we live in times where jobs change and things get automated and workforces get less and there's less companies, so there's less jobs within those certain things. Technically, you know, there's new jobs being created, but there are jobs being lost, you know. But I feel there's a weird way, like, it almost feels to me like Chancery would be like, well, maybe we could play with seven players on the pitch. <laughs> Like he feels, I feel the same mentality. Like a, a rumba with a football boot. Um, we signed, we signed a lot of players this year, but like there was still like a loss on the side of the squad. But then we, we typically in Sheffield Wednesday's recent history, we have a large squad of which a large number of those are injured. How many players were we missing? Yeah. Eight players. You know, if you or say missing in terms of that's kind of like the flash goal mentality basically like these players will not be in contention today you're right i mean i suppose the thing is it's making signings you want to build as a plan there's an overall there's an overarching goal that we're trying to get to with with making signings and Mm. too many of the signings in the summer were yeah i suppose you know if if they were available for the right price you know why not why not have a little nibble Mm. they were not like this is the squad we want to build this is the guy we need to play here this is the guy we need to play there this is you know the shopping list of we need a holding midfielder we need a central defender we need you know it didn't feel like that it felt like you know the dregs of what's left after everyone else has had their fill can we do can we do something with them like Kachunga's right. a weird signing for a team that doesn't play wingers and only plays one up top who tends to be a target man. Yes. Yeah. We sign Kachunga. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Just it's it's that it's so it's so it's so it feels so scattergun and I think it lends itself to these kind of conspiracies about well, are we only allowed to sign people that are linked to Paxal? Or I don't. I mean, who knows? Who knows? But that's the thing. We should be looking at this summer in terms of how many people are leaving, how much room there should be in the budget, and thinking, "Oh, great, rebuild." Well, that's that's again the 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 definition of this, and we can see the Sheffield Wednesday team is like we, you know, I'd 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 like the idea of especially now. I don't know. There's an interesting thing, you know. Like I'm, I'm happy to see a manager like Darren Moore 
given a chance to build the squad and his definition. I feel like I've said this about Gary Monk before. Yeah. But then I don't know how much control happened. I don't know if that's yeah. I don't know A if that happened. So is that gonna happen again? I don't know. Like you know, a lot of our life is waiting, Rich. Uh, you know, the Samuel Beckett play, waiting for Godot. I'm I'm waiting for Vaccino, and I'm waiting for Chancery to get a Cluo. Really, yeah. and I I don't know when that's going to happen. If that is going to happen, is it foolish to think that? I've just I've just heard that. Yep, we've made the signing uh, pre-contract for Colonel Mustard um, because. Um, he'd heard that the fans wanted him to get a Cluedo. So, no, he's acting on the fact, like signing Jordan Rhodes, he's listening to the fans, he's acting on what we say, and it's it's our fault, frankly, if it goes wrong from here. Colonel Mustard, heart of the midfield uh, next season. You heard it here first, first folks. Um, yeah, I... <laughs> In the conservatory of a can of tuna. There's no, it doesn't feel like that. Yeah, it doesn't feel like there's any sort of forethought to things. I, I think there was a model... You can argue that it was a bad model, but the model, was, was the like, model that in, Wembley, sorry, sorry go on. <laughs> well, the model that took us to Wembley was let's sign good, solid, top end championship pros who only have a couple of years left, but we'll be the t- team that gets the last couple of years. We'll give them two years instead of one. Everyone else is offering them one, and we'll reap the benefits of that. We'll get players that are sort of better than expected for a bit longer than, you know, for that usefulness. And that'll get us over the line. Maybe the plan changes when we get in the Premier League. But that kind of almost worked for two years. We got to the playoff final. We got to the the semifinals. We did better that second year than we did the first year. So there's a model. It's not a long-term thought-out model, but it's a model and it it made sense. Since Hmm. then, and maybe no. since the January of that second season, what we're doing doesn't really make much sense. There hasn't been that thought. No, that's through- that's that's a really good point. I think you bring up it's, it's kind of like the transfer model is more like, like especially with like a player like Achunga, is the mentality is we need. I think it's still like a very crass definition of let's build a squad. Mm. Let's let's put up a let's put up on the wall, you know, a picture of a football pitch, and we will define the classic four four two. Yeah, the classic mentality that you need two players for every position, but you don't see them in individual positions. You just see banks. You see defenders as a bank of four. You yeah. see midfielders as a bank of four, and you just see strikers as or two. Even just four. Seems to be the yeah. The so the, it's just like you just need a player for this category. Yeah. So we've met that remit, but but there's obviously there's no further definition to say no. We need this player to be this type of player, you know. So in in this this sort of field, then when we've got we've got these players that are contracts are running down, we've got teams mm. looking at them. I imagine you were as pleased as I was to hear that Hutch's. Working his way towards another year on his deal. Oh, I loved it, especially as I think the, the kind of first article in the local press seemed to think that this was basically triggered on a number of games, which then also I then kind of conjectured that previously, like the guy is seemingly undroppable in terms of the Sheffield Wednesday hierarchy, whoever's making those decisions. 
And <laughs> the other thing, the other thing to factor in is uh, from Hutchinson's point of view, play through whatever because you hit the jackpot if you hit the whatever ma- the magic number is. I remember um, Nicky Weaver played just enough games mm. to get his extra year on his deal, and then mm-hmm. we barely saw him again after that. Yep. He took a season and a half off and was mm. constantly injured because he'd... He'd done it. He'd got. He'd won anyway. He'd got the deal. So, yeah. Tick. Oh, another year of him getting slower and tired quicker and more lapses in concentration. (laughs) Oh, it's horrifying. (laughs) (laughs) I recall the conversation we had. I think it was on the podcast where you told me you were telling me about how Jamie Vardy is getting. You know, is fitter this year yes. than it was last year. Yes, it feels like a revolutionary same mentality. Just which is getting older and slower. <laughs> <laughs> but Luke, he's getting worse year on year. Scientifically, <laughs> they can define he's getting worse. I mean, like what, like like every other player, Rich. Like, no, it's different. <laughs> Well, I think there's a the, you plateau, don't you? As a you know, you reach a physical peak. If you're lucky and you're disciplined, you maintain that physical peak for a period of time. But his, the, twitch, his twitch fibers are turning into zucchini noodles. <laughs> Science has proved it. By next year, there'll be rice noodles, which are the most brittle of noodles. <laughs> But yeah, you know, once that once you start that descent, it only speeds up from there. Yeah. It's not like we talked about young players and like young players can plateau or they can get worse or they can get better. Um, sometimes they get better in huge leaps. Sometimes they get better slowly over time. Um, but when it's the end of somebody's career, it's all just downhill. There's no, nobody gets better as they get older, really. They just maintain for longer, and that surprises us. Mm. Um, oh dear. Anyway, yeah, uh, not the news I needed. I think this week, to be honest, no, hot, no. This is this is kind of why I needed a game of football, a game yeah. of disappointing Sheffield Wednesday football midweek. Well, let's the last little bit of news to deal with, and then we've got something um, different and fun to to to, to address. Um, but. Uh, we had this very classy statement from Liam Shaw. Was that a snigger from Luke? No, I was thinking of something else. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Carry on. Carry on. Let's talk about um, Shawe. Shawe. Well, I thought it was. I thought it was classy from him, um, mm. and I think it hopefully dampens down some of the kind of vitriol. And vitriol is a good word for it. Um, not just at him, but also at the club. Mm. I don't. I don't know why anybody's getting vitriolic at Liam Shaw. That is just out of order. Well, it's it's disappointing, and I don't yeah. know. I think there's. <sighs> I mean, outside of aiming direction and anger towards Mr. Chancery, I don't know. It's someone else get it. I can. I can. I can kind of. It's see another place why. to vent. It's another place to vent. It's not. Doesn't make it any better or nice. Or allowable. I'm just saying I can see why people are doing it. I was a little bit angry with him, sure. I'll be honest for a bit, but oh, I don't know. It's it's fine. He, you know, he's a 
when you stop sipping that haterade. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but then, you know, I think once you get over that, you know, it's very much kind of good wishes for him and his career, really. And, well, there's also this the news this week that there's going to be an investigation into that. Right. I mean, this is the thing that kind of irritates me the most. Do you want to uh, kind of detail your thoughts? And I can kind of come in on this one as well. Well, I don't know all the ins and outs of it. So I, I, I don't mm. want to sort of speculate too much. But, well, I mean, it's, we've just got to do what we can to try and make sure we receive a fair compensation for the time and effort put into his burgeoning career. So I... I don't know. It seems strange to put more effort in after the event, but then if you read, if you take Liam Shaw's own statement at face value, then there's not much Wednesday could have done outside of offering him something stupid. So we've got to now pursue this through the through the authorities and try and claw back some some money. But uh, what what are your what's your thinking? What's your what's what's raised your ire in this regard, Luke? Well, I was angry and then I feel like I've kind of walked it back a little bit. Maybe I'm just a sheer level of apathetic resignation about everything Sheffield Wednesday. Mm. I just, I, I feel there's a lot to be said about, like, we live our lives and you can get upset about a lot of things in life. But I think you get to a certain point and you just kind of have to accept that you know, this is the level of conditions that you're living with today mm-hmm. and the situation. Yeah. I am a little bit sympathetic because I, the compensation model is bent. And I'm sure, yeah. I'm sure Dejvon Chanceri, much like a lot of Sheffield Wednesday fans, <clears throat> is probably still hurting from the George Hurst debacle and what happened there. Yes, because that was... I mean, whatever way you look at it, that was as crooked as a te- as a sort of nine bob note, wasn't it? That that it's maybe allowable within the rules, or a, you know, a, or we like talking about people being cute or clever in football when we mean cheating, and that was cute or clever, but cheating. There's no way, no two ways around it. That was exactly, really exactly. But I, okay, maybe maybe I can say this. Don't. Don't come out and say you're going to do an investigation into this because this is this is the current state of play regarding the rules. Yeah, I mean it is bent and it is it is crap that you can have a player who leaves like outside of the English league system and compensation is deemed to be less. But is there anything is there anything that anyone can do to try and make a point and case for that to kind of change that model? That would be something I'd think that. Is something you should put a direction into rather than saying, rather than going like to make it sound like that statement says that he wants to go through a legal route. Well, I, I wonder if it is important, the kind of course of events, because what's different here is it seems like the acknowledgement from Neil Lennon was made before Sheffield Wednesday were officially informed that he that Shaw wasn't staying with us. And I don't know whether it's one of those rules, a bit like tapping up, it doesn't really matter until it matters. Like tapping up happens all the time. All the time, I know. 
people only ever chase it and get fined for it sometimes. And I wonder if it's a bit like tapping up, like the the way that it's supposed to happen is Liam Shaw has to officially turn our contract down, then can talk to other clubs or something like that. Um, And I'm just wondering if, because it seemed to be, that seemed to be the kind of crux of it was the fact that their manager or somebody within that was it, it was Neil Lennon, wasn't it? Or was it somebody else? I thought it was their assistant manager. It was the assistant manager, right. I want to say John Kennedy, but I could be wrong. Okay. Somebody within the team there at Celtic basically sort of said, yeah, we're signing him. And it's like that was before all the official stuff happened. So it's whether there's more than a slap on the wrist if we pursue that because it shows that something dodgy's happened. Mm. There's so much of that in football. I know. And, you know, we know that uh, Dejvan Chancery is a very emotional character. Yeah. And he was mentioning, and I don't think it kind of came up in conversation when, you know, in the in the craziness of uh, Moore being announced as manager, but he was asked about that alongside, you know, a few other things as well. I, I thought it was... I thought the local press did a good job of actually bringing up those topics mm. since they had the, you know, a rare chance to get the ear and words of Dejvan Chancery outside of... They had a rare opportunity to do that, so they took the opportunity to ask about what's going on with the accounts. Mm. Um, but also they asked about Liam Shaw, and he was like, you could tell that he seemed very, very upset by the fact that basically he was saying that Liam, Liam Shaw's agent was like, oh, wait on this one. We don't want to talk about a contract right now, Just, but just wait. Yeah. And basically that was them engineering the time to get uh, get a pre-contract for Liam Shaw at Celtic. Yeah. Hmm. Intriguing. I think it's a watch this space sort of one. I mean, it, it's not going to be earth shattering, but it might be another like 50K or something, you know. It might. Well, I think they were talking about, talking about a figure around the ballpark of 300 grand, wasn't it? I think that's what... That's, the, that's the sort of agreed amount. It's just how much extra this investigation rakes up. Mm. But um, yeah, there we go. Um, so uh, th- this th- something different and uh, novel is um, we've got a we've got a listener question, <laughs> which is rather nice. Um, so Aaron Johnson on Twitter uh, reached out and and basically asked, looking forward to uh, so. Sorry, don't I won't read out the praise bit there. Uh, sorry about that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so the quick question: How worried are you that a substantial number of the house faithful are going to give up supporting the club? Uh, I couldn't imagine it myself, but I'm hearing lots of others say so. Uh, if when we go down to League One and COVID finally sods off enough to have fans back, the support is going to be vital. It's the only thing that sets us apart from your smaller clubs. It's an interesting question. I, I, there's a lot of Twitter is this kind of great, well, social media in general, not just Twitter, but uh, Twitter's my general window into it. It it means you see a plethora of views and things that you don't, you know, you're not used to seeing. Um, But I I don't, I wonder how much Twitter is a a particular group of people that it would be interesting to see a kind of wider bit of research about the fan base, how many people are feeling like they're at their wits end with this. Uh, There's certainly plenty of reasons to feel like you're at the, your wits end. Mm. 
But Luke, I mean, you, I, I think we've both maybe got an interesting bit of perspective to bring to this because I was just wondering, Luke, I mean, I think you and I have, have a bit of a, a perspective on this in that we've had, or you had a period of time where you were, we talked we talked about your sabbatical of from supporting the club quite so closely. Um, so it'd be sort of interesting to know what were the reasons for sort of falling away a little bit and then maybe what sort of drew you back in and then how that kind of relates to the situation we're in now as a club. That's an interesting one. Um, for me personally, I think it was like a lot of things. It seemed as part of my kind of development. It didn't seem like, like kind of Sheffield Wednesday went kind of hand in hand with that. I felt growing up, you know, I, I grew up with my parents divorced and, and both of them being very kind of pragmatic people in terms of kind of budgets and money. So they're very conservative. So I, I didn't get many opportunities to go. My my dad actually wrote for the my dad had a career working largely in newspapers. He worked for Sheffield newspapers, my dad. Mm. And um, so he he did a little bit of journalism on Sheffield Wednesday for, he used to go and look at, like, watch reserve games. He's done a few bits and bobs. He's, uh, you know, interviewed players in the 80s. He's interviewed players, people like Mick Lyons. I haven't been time interviewing about interviewing Nigel Worthington. My dad used to write a bit for the Wednesday program as well. I think it was called Premiership Points or Premiership People, which was okay. kind of like a roundup. And it, he didn't get much money from that. He used to sometimes get a few complimentary tickets uh, in the okay. of 90s. So I, I recall going for you know going to a few games then during during really good times. Um, I think I was a very I think my first game I managed to see Roland Nilsson score, though I don't recall that. So there was a little bit kind of around my kind of youth and growing up around mm. Wednesday that it would be a rare treat to go see Sheffield Wednesday. And I think really because I didn't really have the opportunity or the finances to go as much, it, it kind of something that kind of fell out of my focus. I got into kind of music. Yeah. So that kind of seemed like a bit of a transition. And then it, it kind of felt, when was that? It was probably about 25, 26 I weirdly went to watch a game during Brian Laws's reign. I think it was a nil-nil draw against Charlton. And I think it was just the possibility for me financially that it was something that was possible and viable. Yeah. Um, I'm talking a lot right now with um, someone I see for career coaching about the concept of assumed constraints, which is very interesting. Just kind of the things that we can do, but we actually tell ourselves that we can't do. And I think it just kind of broke something that like, oh, I can... I can go watch Wednesday. You know, I, I'm an adult who can fund this thing. And it, it just kind of got me back into there. And it, it kind of reignited something in me. Mm. The interesting thing I kind of think about this with everyone else is, I feel like we often hear this kind of argument. And, you know, Rich and I frequent Owl's Talk as one of the more popular, you know, the most popular yeah. Sheffield Wednesday message board. I did have periods of other Wednesday message boards in the past, like Alice and Wine. Me too. There's, there's always someone, which is a great forum, by the way, there's nothing mm. against that. I've just kind of fallen out of it. Um, there's always a mentality of people online who will tell you on forums, such as Alice Talk, that they used to go and then they stopped going because yeah. they've learned that they could rather play golf on a Saturday afternoon. Yes. And they think that's a better use of their money and their time. The funny thing about that is, I mean... 
I agree it's expensive and it's it's unfortunately for a people's game and something that's so kind of should be so ingrained in the culture and the community of the people of Sheffield who identifies being Wednesdayites, you know, yeah, it's it is expensive. So I can kind yeah. of see that argument. But the funny thing is there's still people on the Sheffield Wednesday message board who yes. are probably on there quite a bit who will tell you that they don't go anymore. So in a weird yeah. way, I still feel like it's it's the Wednesday herpes virus, right? It's <laughs> the virus that's in us all about Sheffield Wednesday. And it can go dormant for great periods of time. Yes. Yeah. Like, I think there are natural kind of ebbs and flows regarding the amount of people who go to games. I think there are new generations and new people who get into it. I think there are people like me who had a period where for whatever reason, it wasn't going to happen. And then you may find that you get back into it. Yep. I do agree though, Aaron, that like this, this is a period is it, it's because we've never experienced most of us have never experienced in our lifetime, a global pandemic. Well, like COVID this. thing is big, isn't it? I think the COVID thing is huge. Powerful. It whips it out of people because previously a lot of people had the habit of doing this. And then when it comes back, they might be like, I don't want to revisit that habit. That's the that's the thing that makes me think maybe that we will see a shift. Mm. Because I think in terms of everything else, people speak in hyperbole an awful lot, particularly online. Um, everything is the worst, the best. You know, there's people are people feel the need to stretch themselves to absolute extremes. So you know. Adam Reach is the worst player we've ever had and such and such is, you know, Depp John Chancer is the worst chairman we've ever had. The club is as bad, you know, all this sort of thing. It's, it's not, we, 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 we read the fairly depressing history of Sheffield Wednesday as part of our kind of, um, for initial pandemic reaction, Luke, if, um, if, if folks remember the, that. The Tom Whitworth book. Yes. The, yeah. The, yes. And, uh, there've been there've been worse chairmen before, uh, and there there have been worse times before for this football club. But it this is it, 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 that's not to say this isn't bleak, and relatively it is fairly bleak. Um, I suspect we will if we go down to League One, we will slough off a group of fans. I will say, I don't know how much of a loss they will be to. Um, the hardcore because I know when we went to Wembley, there were some people that discovered that they were, you know, they rediscovered their love for Wednesday, um, which fantastic. And if we'd gone up, hopefully it all would have been sunshine and roses. We didn't go up, but there has been an attitude that arrived with that group of fans. That is nothing is good enough. Like we should win every game, and even when we win, mm. win comfortably. And that, quite frankly, is nonsense. There's no God-given right for Sheffield Wednesday to win any football game. And for those of us who have seen more than our fair share of Wednesday games, any win is a joyous little morsel of uh, of goodness in a uh, on an ending trough of swill you know like wins should be cherished nasty dirty one nil 
you know, from the jaws of defeat type wins should be cherished. Walking away churlish and unhappy after a 1-0 win is just so alien to me, but it almost became a kind of expectation. I, I The second season under Carlos, I just don't know what happened to the collective mindset, but it's like, we did better. That's the best season we'd ha- we've had since we were in the Premier League. And people moaned all the way through that season. And people said we were crap. And people still moan. If you read Al's talk, you read Twitter, people still moan about that team and that season. But it's like, that was brilliant. Those are the times you should have been going, this is great. What a good time to be a Wednesday fan. <laughs> and mm. so I think there will be some people that kind of arrived when we were on the, the way to Wembley and we'll, we'll probably lose them now that we've gone in the opposite, opposite direction. As you say, Luke, they're, they're still Wednesday fans. There's still that, that deep seated virus, you know, somewhere in the core of their spine or whatever, wherever um, herpes lives um, in the nervous system. It's still there, but they probably will stop coming to games and maybe the expectations will go. Uh, with them in some ways and that might not be a terrible thing mm. I think we need like I think we've seen pigs and troughs with these things before yeah that's that's, a, that's the, the nature of what it is you know the fact Sheffield Wednesday do have a larger hardcore fan base than a lot of clubs and I think that will maintain despite all this Right. We maybe, you know, we'll be playing in League One next season and we might be up against, I don't know, Walsall. I'm not sure who else is in the third division <laughs> picture. I'm sure we'll have a... Luke immediately picks out a club from from uh, the, the old uh, West Midlands because uh, it's what he does. Right. And then, you know, there'll be Walsall fans who come to Hillsborough and be like, they're still impressed that Wednesday will have 14,000, 15,000 Wednesdays there. And we'll sell out our allocations everywhere we go. And, you know, like, I, I just feel like, uh, to an extent, there won't be a huge amount of difference. Mm. But there will be some. There will be some that don't yeah. come back. And, the, and I think it will be more than normal because of COVID. There are things, as you say, Luke, we've, we've found other things to do with our time. Most of the other things are fairly tedious, but they are cheaper. <laughs> <laughs> The thing I want to say about this as well is, like, there will be... I don't know if there's ever... The the interesting thing is, you know, we have to kind of celebrate the success that we have. We had a lovely email from one of the the listeners, David, who talked about relative success for Sheffield Wednesday Mm. and talked about, you know, selling out in the the League One promotion decider game against Wickham. Yeah. And, you know, I guess that's that's very much Sheffield Wednesday what we are now. That's, unfortunately for our recent history, that's our definition of success. It pales in comparison to where we were in the 90s, but, you know, football is cyclical and peaks and troughs and things like this. The big thing, like, I think I want to say is there will be at some point in the future, there has to be at some point in the future, unless we go out of business, which could happen. <laughs> there will be... There will be a chairman or, I don't know, maybe even Chancery get a clue and, and install somebody who's a CEO who will work to try and get some of the appetite that Wednesday, Wednesday yeah. Heights have for this football club 
back in effect. A because reset needs to happen, doesn't it? We're overdue a reset, I think. We are overdue a reset. And, and you know, it's interesting because I remember at the time, like, you know, I was getting back into Wednesday, you know, around that time. And that was around the time we didn't have a chairman. And that was the time that, well, yes. Dave Allen was installed, but he was off, you know, fancying some pigeons or <laughs> checking the books, checking the books and Napoleons or whatever he was doing. Um <laughs> Practicing being in his... Was he in a band in the 60s or 70s or something? Oh, yeah, yeah. Maybe he's doing that. Maybe he's getting his drum kit out or something. I don't know what he's doing. <laughs> but anyway, the Lee Strafford came in, and it felt like we were definitely going up a gear. Like, I think everybody can say that. I think even if you weren't particularly a fan of Lee Strafford, which it seemed there were some people critical, but again, I'm also engaging this off a, off a message board as well, which is not the best yeah. way to kind of gauge a fan base. But... There is someone who can take us to that next gear. There will be someone in the future. And then eventually we'll start getting that idea and that concept that, like like you were saying, Rich, with the time with Dave Allen, you know, we'll buy a we'll buy a rubber wristband for a few quid. <laughs> and it'll yeah, make yeah. us feel that we can buy into this because right now it is dis it is disenchanting to be following Sheffield Wednesday, following them. I followed them from a distance. But everybody follows them. Everyone follows them from the same experience that I have anyway. Yeah, that's, I, yeah I, your experience has become the norm this uh, this last... It has. Of- everybody is so distanced from the football. Everybody's watching through, through, through you know, a feed on the telly. It's, it's not fun. It's really, really not fun. And, you know, we've mentioned, like, the, um, the Chancery potluck. Yeah. You know, nothing... <laughs> Yeah, our, our potato salads don't cut it. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I think that's the other factor as well in in all of this is we are cut off from the bit of being a football fan that makes the most sense. Mm. I think being in the stadium, being part of a crowd, be that's a huge part of what it is to be a fan of a football team. You know, it. it it, it, people do talk about it being like a church or like a tribe or whatever, but there is something tribal. There's something like deep rooted in we're all stood together. We're all pulling for a cause. We're all singing the same words. You know, all those bits are a massive part of being as much as the people on the pitch. It's that experience being there, feeling it, seeing it, smelling it, having the hug with the random person that's, somehow ended up on your row when they were three rows back before you scored. All those things are what football is about as much as anything that happens on a football pitch. And we don't have that. We can't have that at the moment. And without that, football is weird. I'm, I'm sick of this fake crowd noise that's always like seven out of ten that's not what a crowd sounds like a crowd goes completely silent sometimes and then they're really loud sometimes yeah and, i know i know. You know or every football match we watch it's like the vuvuzela noise during that world cup in south africa for me now this crowd noise at just a constant pitch it's fake it's phony it's weird uh, but we've grown used to it because, you know, either we watch football with that weird noise on or we don't watch football. Um, so we've all kind of got used to it. But that's not what football's about. It's not what football is. What we're watching is, 
I don't know, like theoretical football. Um, <laughs> the real thing of football is fans in stadiums feeling and giving the Vs to the opposition when they score or you score. And that silent moment when, you know, when a home team concedes a goal, the weird way that like suddenly 20,000 people can make no noise whatsoever. You can hear the ball hit the net, even though you're, you know, hundreds of yards away from it. That Those things are football and we're not getting a chance to have any of that. And I think... Part, I mean, for me, um, with all the caution and worry about mixing and vaccines and everything else, as soon as it's okay for me to go to a stadium and watch football, I'm going mm. to a stadium to watch football. Mm-hmm. And I can't be the only one. <laughs> I, I, I just feel like most people will want to get back to it. But I do appreciate there will be some people that's like, well, do you know what? Actually, now me and Moira go for a walk on a Saturday afternoon and it's a lot more chilled out. <laughs> Is more the name of a girlfriend or a pet turtle? Or... <laughs> Take your pick. I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna um, dictate to them what their what their Saturdays look like. But as soon as I can be, you know, hugging a smelly stranger, I'm I'm there. <laughs> We're always just oddly homosexual on this podcast, aren't we, Rich? <laughs> oh dear. Yes. Oh, should we talk about the football match that happened this weekend? Is that a reasonable thing, a sensible thing to do. That's why we're here, isn't it? That's why we're doing this at this time. We could have just done an episode without talking about Norwich. We could have done all of this at any time, couldn't we? Yeah. <laughs> we could have just we could have just recorded like just a quick summary. Just like you know, like the blue apron adverts where it's just like Oh yeah. Where it cuts to like cuddled veal and potatoes. <laughs> Yeah, just we could just do that instead. We should have done that, but anyway, we're doing this now, so we're doing it now. Let's apply some effort, more effort than we've seen collectively from Sheffield Wednesday this season into talking about this game of football. (laughs) Oh, so I mean, for me personally, a bit of a wish list type team to start off with, apart from maybe up top. But um, mm. Origide back in at that left-sided centre-back slot. Hutch back in the middle of a three at the back. Uh, Pelopesi in the midfield to be the legs around the failing legs of, of Bannon and uh, and Hutch in the, in the centre. I, I, I was quite pleased with it. And, and Palmer involved. I generally want Palmer involved. Did you think that was a... That, you say you thought it was a 3-5-2 we were playing? It, yes, it was. Yeah, well, yeah, pretty much. I mean, you call it a five-four-one or a five-three-two. No, it wasn't a two up top. It was five-three. It was definitely right because I, I guess Windass was was Windass more on the on the on the flank. I saw it as two. So I saw it as so. We definitely had had three centre backs with the uh, Lee's Hutch and Urigide. Interesting. Definitely had wing wing backs in um, Harris and, and Palmer. And then um, Pelupesi and Bannon sort of worked as a two further back and then two further forward were Reach and, and Windass and then Rhodes was kind of on his own. But when we w- didn't have the ball, Windass and Rhodes, uh, Windass and Reach dropped in and, and basically became a four in the middle. I th- that sort of tended to be the way. That's how I saw it anyway. 
we really packed the middle and it, and it worked very well first half actually what did you so did you have a different take then well it's just the presentation was that it was a 4-4-2 the presentation on my feed was and I thought it was going to be Hutchinson and Lee's at centre back I don't know I don't know maybe I'm I, I can't work this out it did, well, it didn't. I, I didn't. I didn't see it as a four-four-two anywhere else. But um, it it's de- definitely wasn't for what happened in practical. Probably makes a lot of sense because I yeah I think I, I agree with you because one of my notes from the game was basically if I'm looking at a four-four-two, then the problem with that would be who's at who's at right back because through that mentality I kept seeing Palmer and Nerihide out on the left so often. Yeah. Which makes sense that from that perspective, as he gave his left centre back and Palmer was playing that left wing back role. And then you got a white right wing back berth for Harris, who got forward quite a bit as well. So the so interestingly, looking at the kind of um average position, so they're hmm. definitely the three with Hotch at the furthest back of the three, and then Uriguide right. on the left and 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 uh, Lee's on the right hand side of that. But quite well spread you know, like they're kind of the width of the box between the three of them is the average position Palmer on the the left Harris on the right but interestingly um Windass is all the way out there with with Harris so maybe they were playing I, I thought they were more central than that but it looks like from this that they were they were pretty much playing out from the wings those two um and then amid the midfield was Bannon and Pelopessi were sort of side by side in midfield um, and Rose mm. leading the line, but not the furthest. On average, the furthest p- f- forward player was actually Reach. Interesting. Mm. It was something new, wasn't it? From it was something new. Something new from Moore. Yeah, and when Moore came in the door, he did talk positively about Rhodes. So maybe this is going to be a bit of a model going forward. Does he talk positively about Marriott? I don't know. He, I'm wondering if Marriott's like really good on the training ground. Yeah. Because he's not very good on the pitch at Hillsborough or no. any other pitch that Sheffield Wednesday no. playing on. Well, that, I mean, fast forward, that is a big, big pivotal moment in this game. And I. Okay. Anyway, let's, let, let's, let's go through in canonical fashion. <laughs> canonical fashion. But I thought we started really well. I thought um, we mm. were applying pressure, but we were being sensible with it. We weren't just chasing around. We had clear trigger points we were working on, and the the most obvious one of those was when we just were not letting Buendia have any time on the ball. So if the ball came into him, we would just there'd be four or five shirts around him and just he couldn't breathe. We said um, Buendia, Buena. That's exactly what we said. <laughs> But Darren Moore said in his pre like his pre-match G-ing up at the players. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> um and we were rewarded for that good start. We, we there's some some sort of I mean ba- one of the features today, Bannon was playing deeper than we've seen him recently. And I th- I thought we had a few stray touches, a few bad passes. Um a couple of times he sort of gave the ball away under very little pressure. Almost mm. inexplicably, it was it was sort of strange, um, but we kind of recovered the ball from one of Bannon's poor passes forward, um, and it, it, it was played played by Pelopessi out to Reach, and Reach just whipped a ball in behind the defence, and Windass 
read it brilliantly. He was on, you know, he's immediately on the front foot, um, took a great first touch with his chest, and then was dragged down by uh, by the the defender for Norwich, who I've just blanked on his name, uh, Gibson. It was. Oh, Gibson. Do you think that was a very? I thought that was a very soft free kick. Oh no. I thought it was. I thought he was. In some ways, I thought he was lucky to get just a yellow. Really? Because I thought if Windass had naturally been, a, I thought Windass looked. He's going to beat Hanley in a race. Yeah. He'd already beaten Gibson, so it's whether the fullback can get across. Mm. And I think if he'd naturally been allowed to take his second touch, now maybe his second touch takes him to the goalkeeper, but that's not what we're asking here. We're asking whether the fullback can get across and cover that. And I, you think that's going towards a, a last man red situation? I thought so. I thought it was a pretty agricultural taking out. I thought it was a pretty cynical. What else could we ex- What else could we expect from Norwich? Right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm surprised. Yeah. So I'm surprised that you thought it was soft because I, I just thought it was it was a cynical. Always a yellow, but maybe there was a question about red. But I, I'd probably only think that because I'm a Wednesday fan that it was it could have been a red. Interesting. Because um, I just thought I just thought Windass, if he got a second touch as good as his first, mm. he would have been one on one with Krull. We know that he would just run into Krull because he'd overthink it and not hit a shot. But <laughs> they don't know that, and that's the important thing. Yeah, it was very casual though. Because I mean, I spent. But I thought it was casual in the fact that, like, it was so effortless he played forward from reach. That was such a good yeah. ball. And then, yeah, yeah just, uh, just yeah, nice kind of cushion. Chest down from Windass. And then, yeah, I guess if there's no foul made and bish, bash, bosh. I'd expect him to get a shot away if there's no foul, regardless of what the defenders do. Mm. Whether it's a goal or not is another matter. Fair enough, it, fair enough. Yeah. Um, Bannon took the free kick. Um hit it straight at the wall. I think uh, Bannon's uh, getting ready for his uh, new career at uh, post-football as an ice cream van man because it's <laughs> Mr. Whippy Ice Cream, uh, soft and delicate, art- artful, soft curl, straight into the wall. <laughs> and and the ball sort of bounced out pretty kindly for Pelu Pessi that, that tried to curl an effort in and um, Rhodes reacted brilliantly. It sort of... Mm. Um, he took took a touch and turned in one move, and and then his second touch is a goal, and uh, it was just it was really really well taken, instinctive, clever finish. Um, he had a good long look at the linesman to ask the question, but he was he was fine. There were Wednesday players that were offside, but um, but um, Rhodes was well and truly on onside. He, he timed mm-hmm. it brilliantly and took the goal brilliantly. Mm. And I thought that yeah, the early going, most of those good chances were were our chances. Uh, um, Reach had a decent chance in the eighteen on the eighteenth uh, minute mark, hit the target. Maybe could have done better with it. Um, that was the one that sort of I think the fullback missed Gibson with his pass inside, and it just rolled to Reach. And I don't know that Reach knew how good the opportunity was. I think he really could have um, could have done better with it. Mm. Given you know, if he if he was aware of the of the moment and and quite how free he was really, because um, Hanley is Hanley's obviously their captain and he brings a lot to the table. But I think on the ground, he's uh, Reach is either going to beat him or he's going to get fouled by him. 
um, and he was in the box already. So yeah, I think he could have just drawn a bit, drawn the moment out a little bit, and either got a better shot away or maybe drawn a foul um, potentially. Uh, but decision making not one of our strong suits at this point in time, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. We had one of the best Harrises of the season <laughs> on the 20 minute mark. Palmer played a crossfield ball. Across, uh, I love yes. wing back to wing back passes. There was a few of those today that were absolutely peachy. Mm. Um, Harris cut inside. He dropped his shoulder, did a step over and then unleashed a sort of effort with his left foot. But unfortunately it was again, right down Krull's uh, throat. We had good chances. We didn't make the most of them, but we did have good chances that first half. And we were really unlucky. I think the one that really sticks out as being an amazing half chance, but a bit disappointing that we didn't manage to make anything of it, was when Palmer spread the ball across to Harris. Maybe kind of overcooked his pass a little bit, but Harris was breaking into the box uh, and it was all Harris could do really to get anything on the ball to stop it so the chance the defenders had managed to close him down before he'd before he'd really got the ball under control and uh unfortunately the ref spotted an imaginary foul after the corner for some reason so we didn't even though we did a clever routine it didn't didn't amount to much anything else from that first half anything that you stood out to you um i thought lees did very well with um i mean they they attacked us a lot down the left the left flank, yeah. and that's really where Norwich was seemingly getting a little bit of purchase into this game. There was a great moment where Pookie was on a break on the angle, sold Hutch for a hot dog, Hutch slipped over, yes. you know, was slid, and then yeah. Lees did very, very well to get back to prevent what I thought was going to be maybe a certain goal, but maybe knowing yeah. Pookie, who prior to him notching later in the game was on, what was it, seven goals in nine games? Yeah, yeah. It was the sort of chance that you expect a guy in the sort of oh, form. Nine from seven. Eight. Nine oh, from wow. seven. Okay. I apologize. That's, yeah. That's so much that's, better than seven from nine. That's much better, I know. Um, so that was good. Can I, I'll bring up some pithy comments. Let's have a little bit of okay. mild humor and mild mirth before <laughs> we get into some stuff. Why the fuck, why the fuck is the Huddersfield manager there? Like I have a big issue with this because it's like, do we? In terms of like the virus and things, is absolutely yeah. unnecessary. Yeah, yeah. And like the game's on TV. Yeah, you can watch on TV. Like, what is there a code that like we allow? Like we <laughs> can, we can't have fans in the ground. Oh, but we can have scouts. Is there like a? a... I thought the same with um, Southgate at games, but uh, I think Southgate's got more reason to be there than. The Huddersfield manager. The Huddersfield manager. Yeah, I agree. That seems completely unnecessary in this uh, in this day and age. I don't know if I'm just sound like just a really, like really <laughs> pithy old man who's just upset at cans these days and how they don't open as well. <laughs> something I don't I don't know how big an issue that is, but I'm just shaking like, a seems... fist at the moon. Why? Why? I don't know. <laughs> Alapesi and good challenge shocker. That happened in the first half. Yeah, a, a couple of decent um, interventions, I thought, first half. Mm. From the pest dispenser. The Harris slip on the 37th minute really broke my heart. That's the one, yeah. That's yeah. That's what you were talking about, wasn't it? I thought it was. Yeah. I lost a little bit track of your narrative, but I'm like, but I'm sure it, that's what you're talking about. No, no, it's fine. But it was, yeah, that it did. It was a real, yeah. like, 
because it was beautiful. The the move was brilliant, and then oh, you just think like this is going to be incredible, and it, uh, you just couldn't get it under. But a play with the ability and the pace to still get up after he slips over and get us a yes. corner is still something, which is probably why you know obviously he's been linked with Millsborough. So right, you know Colin Colin again doing his thing of picking up free cheap quick players. The siren song of uh, Neil Warnock. Um, that's the thing he does. You know, like I've said previously, he picks up cheap, quick players. Yeah. Mind you, it's a weird thing with Harris. Like, he, we remind ourselves that he is still a quick player. But the fact that we've just ran him into the ground, that his legs look like they're <laughs> turning into stone at most moments every time he runs. It probably just speaks a lot to the fact that, you know, we've played a hell of a lot of him. But anyway... A little bit gutting. Um, I don't know what happened with, I don't know what happened with your commentary, Rich. So the the commentator I had on my feed here, here yeah. in Canada through the zone, mentioned the term "founder members of the Premier League" twice on my commentary. Oh right. Um, I said, why does that statement seem like we were antiquated characters polishing our monocles over a Magna Carta-like document <laughs> of new greed in the game? rather than simply a club who are in the top tier when the Premier League happened. <laughs> it was like four, four score and 20 years ago. <laughs> I think yeah. the highlight of our commentary was um, da- Danny Gabidon, uh, when Lees went down, um, they said, oh, he's, co- he's collided his head with, with Hanley's elbow there. No, it's like just like oh yeah, classic. A head is a really good thing to use to attack an elbow. Like it was like Lee's had kind of done. It was like it was an even exchange for a start, and also a bit of an implication that like Lee's had sort of attacked Hanley's elbow with his head. Like no, that's called elbowing someone in the head. Generally, we do, we normally look at that the other way around. You know, this is kind of victim blaming. Oh, the guy that's leaking claret um, because. <laughs> You just elbowed him in the face. He was not trying to headbutt your elbow. That was never the intention. <laughs> I, so I noted in my notes, at the stroke of halftime, Rhodes' goal felt about four games ago at that point. I can see that. Yeah, yeah. I'm imagining Jordan Rhodes describing it like a dream and boring everyone in the process. <laughs> I scored, but it didn't feel like I scored. But I, it was interesting. So we got to the halftime and I, I thought... Also, Jordan Rhodes was the, the troubadour for the, the regular Wednesday uh, haunting song of I Flicked It On For No One. Um, yes. That was a really... That was a nice flick on. I mean, it was to, like, you know, as the song goes, it was for no one, but it was nice. <laughs> um, the thing I wanted to ask you, Rich, was... a lovely was, flick on, wasn't it? It there was. was also, was it first half or second half where he got a really good flick on and just stared at Reach like he gave him a death stare? Like, why are you not? Go on, mate. Up it. On your bike. <laughs> uh, and then, and that, so the thing I wanted to ask you was in terms of this, because I, I felt this feels like the, the more, I felt like we mixed it up in terms of distributing it from, from Westwood, mm. from goal kicks. Because I, I haven't noticed yes. this ever, you know, to a fault against, you know, Rotherham and what was that other game we lost? <laughs> There's been so many, Luke. There's been so many. The one last week we did. Oh, Who was it? 
Uh, Reading? Reading. Yes, there we go. I want to say Swansea for some reason. We were playing it out from the back to a fault, like pretty much every time. Yes, so yeah. it was interesting to see us mix it up a bit. How much of that was design and how much do you think that was kind of Kieran Westwood being like, I'm used to doing this? No, I think I think I think we generally reacted quite well to mm. Norwich didn't press us early doors, so we we had quite happily played it around as they were letting us. And and I think probably from their point of view, we got through the phases too easily. So it's okay. It's one thing to let somebody get to the halfway line and then maybe close them down or they get like two thirds is the kind of classic one. And then you close mm. down. We were getting through the phases much better. We were doing that transition into attacking moments, probably better than they expected. So they started then pressing us much further up the field. And I thought we were, as you say, we responded well, rather than kind of, there was a couple of times it was a, a few hairy moments. Mainly I thought Origide had those hairy moments, um, although maybe not his own fault. I think he kind of, again, competency is a, is a, a mm. dangerous thing to show in this, uh, in this Sheffield Wednesday team. Cause uh, if you can cope with the ball under pressure, you will be given the ball under pressure. Uh, so he seemed to have a few moments where he's like almost, almost pushed into um, mistakes, but generally well and we changed it up. So as you say, we didn't, insist on doing it when the pressure was good from Norwich we we did go long sometimes when we needed to and and, and hit that sort of release valve yeah it was a decent first half wasn't it like I, I liked how compact we were I liked how we played it around we broke well we used the wing play as well and it didn't feel entirely unsustainable like Luton like Luton just felt like we'd gone mad yeah and that was all we had left and then obviously we were just knackered and had nothing. Mm-hmm. You know, we were so powder, uh, powder puff second half. It was, you know, we clearly, you know, for, to borrow some crude phraseology, we shot our bolt that first half against Luton. It no. wasn't like that. It felt like this was quite sustainable. We could probably do this fairly comfortably for the rest of the game, or at least see out the difficult moments early, early doors. <laughs> so. It's interesting in terms of what changed. Second half is pretty much one-way traffic, unfortunately. Mm. And it's almost that thing of, it felt like we'd been told, you know, first 10, 15 minutes, lads, we'll uh, see through the first 10, 15 minutes. And it was like, it did feel like the game was just about that, that maybe they had lost a bit of their fizz. Norwich, they did, they rattled out the blocks. They, They were right on it. Um, and had lots of possession, lots of set pieces, lots of almost chances. And they were pressing like mad, so we were making mistakes that weren't helping us either. Um, And just as it started to feel like that momentum was shifting again and maybe the game was going to go into a bit of a a plateau, unfortunately, that's when we sort of switched off um, and the goal came. Um, Because Hutch had done a really good job on Puki. I thought he'd... I thought he'd really intelligently picked his moments to kind of break from him and help other defenders. Mm. Um, in particular, in the second half, he, he had a really good clearing header where it's like he, he knows he's got the job of marking Pookie, but he knew it would be better. There was a moment where the ball was kind of like winnable and he broke away from that and got a great header clear. But like, he just switched off. 
I feel like I watch a lot of Sheffield Wednesday. I don't know if I watch quite enough football to kind of really to justify any great insights into the game, Rich. Like what I'm curious. Like this this happens a lot to Wednesday. I mean, it's it's interesting. You know, we did we did a job on Norwich in the first half. You know, we made them seem quite ordinary. But we know yeah. that like there's there's plenty more gears to Norwich yeah. after seeing that first half. I was a bit staggered that like it seemingly went up from gear one, gear one slash two for Norwich to four and five for them. Like it was like a very marked kind of improvement from them, which I mean, they have the capability and the ability to do with the players that they have. Like it's, I made a note to say, it's scary the ability and confidence that they have in themselves. It is so far removed from who these players are at Sheffield Wednesday. You know, I mean, we've had quite a few of these players who've probably exhibited it's like that during times of probably the, the cream of Carlos's time for players like Bannon and Lees and Hutchinson as well, to include within yeah. that. And Westwood. You know, there's still there's still personnel left over from there. But the thing that kind of frustrated me from a Sheffield Wednesday perspective, well, losing the game just <laughs> really helped. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but like all of the shape went, all of our compactness. And like, is that is that because we're trying to kind of mark Norwich out of this, and then they're just they're just loosening and stretching the game so much by creating so much space? Is that what's happening? The main that was the main difference in the kind of flow of the game. So first half, we seem to control. So whether it's a confidence shift or a tactical shift or an energy shift, I'm not probably a bit of everything. But yeah. the first half, we kept it compact, and then were really clever about when we dis- we we decided when we would go wide and we used that really well. So that's how you end up with these passes from Palmer to Harris and that kind of cutting them open because we suck them into a side and then we expanded the game. At, and it's us always metering that out. Second half they just put their full their their wing backs on the on the white of the lines like they were just stretching the game all the time. They they very rarely came in those fullbacks at all second half, and that meant we had to match them or give them the ball in the wide areas. And I think we didn't quite decide which we wanted to do, and because we then ended up getting stretched, that so that stretched us, and it meant there was more spaces in the middle for them. We couldn't control the middle anymore in the way that we were doing. But I, I'm sure a bit of it is that people like Reach and Windass were doing a disciplined role that they're probably not particularly good at or used to first half. And at some point there's just little slips that happen or their 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 mm. nature gets in the way. I mean, particularly the second goal, it's sort of madness from Windass in a way. But we shouldn't skip ahead. <laughs> uh, I, uh, ironically saying skip. No, so I mean regarding that that's um uh, regarding that first goal like, I mean, it, it's a great finish from Pookie. Incredible the I, the thing that really I think I kind of got frustrated with is the fact that Skip is allowed to just waltz into the box. Yeah, it's not it's not a good look, is it? No, that's the thing. Like, I, I that's the big pivotal moment. Yeah, I, I'd like to... I mean, we've sat down immediately sort of post-match, so I'd like... They didn't do much replays of uh, of, of any of the goals, um, so I would like to watch it back a little bit to kind of see quite what happened. But, um, yeah, Skip gets loose. 
if you remember the last game against them, what they figured out was if they dribbled, they would be they would run through our lines of defence. Um, and there was a little bit of that as well, <laughs> um, just holding on to the ball and being a bit braver. So it seems to seem to pay off for them. Um, what I was going to say, sorry, in terms of the the sort of positive aspect or the way we could have the game could have turned if we had been better when we had the ball. Obviously, Norwich are taking a risk playing as wide as they were, but we didn't have an, we didn't um, have enough quality possession to to punish them for the gaps that they would. There would have been gaps forward, but it took us too long to get our foot on the ball and actually do things. Yeah. And I think we almost waited for them to get tired of pressing. It seemed like there were a few moments we we looked to be kind of a little bit enterprising on the counter. Mm. I want to say it like it looked like it was something that. Could have happened. I just, yeah, I'm just frustrated with the lack of shape. Yeah, that's 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 the big thing in the second half, and it just it's very, it's very endemic to Sheffield Wednesday. But there's also a thing of as I said in the first half, one of the things we did really well was swamp Buendia, who's obviously their kind of catalyst player. You know, he kind of plays in behind mm. Pookie. He feeds Pookie. Unfortunately, they've got like three or four good good players that can do that same sort of role. Maybe not as well as Buendia. You know, ideally Buendia does it, but if he's marked, then Cantwell can do it, and Skip can do it, and whatever the lad that they brought on can uh, can do it. Uh, sorry, Dowell can do it. That's the problem we have. Is if you stop Bannon, we're kind of that's it. That's our ideas gone. And if you stop Bannon and probably Windass we basically can't play anymore. <laughs> like it's the the benefit of having options means that they flooded the midfield with all those clever creative players and then almost to kind of thumb their nose at us once they'd scored, Buendia goes back to being the person that they look for because we can't now we're not marking Buendia because we can't mark all of them. Um so we start start not marking any. Um so then Wendia went back to being this kind of catalyst pivot player for them. It's so... Well, we'll get to the end of the game. There's, there's comments to sort of talk about at the end of the game. Mm. Should, do we just quickly run through the kind of moment? So they, they got their goal, yeah. skip played it into Pookie. Pookie was in a lot of space and took his chance very, very well. Like absolutely pummeled it into the top corner. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely no chance for Westwood. We then... Brought on Marriott for Rhodes. Why? And completely lost any outball that we had. I don't know. I was so annoyed as well because they showed Callum Patterson doing like 20 keepy uppies on his shoulder at half time. And I was like, yeah, it'd be good when he comes on. (laughs) (laughs) Brought on Marriott first. I know. I know. The 77th minute. It was a bad set piece from Norwich. It just hit uh, a weird sort of little chip. Can we, can we also play. talk about the 67th minute? Uh, Windus wasted a really good chance. He did. It really, really made me angry. That was such a bad shot. Well, Calupesi was stood there just ready. Yeah, he had options. in the box. I did. The, did you ca- capture the camera like zoomed in on Windus when he was on the floor after that chance? looking at Pelipesi very dismissively and telling him to shut his effing mouth. <laughs> I did not see that, no. 
it's nice to know the team spirit's alive and well. We might be down in the doldrums, but these guys love each other and they're all pulling in the same direction. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was a big miss. That was the frustrating. We did have some opportunities this second half. And then Windows, you know, had that had that cross he scuffed along the deck for Marriott as well. Yeah. I don't know where he could have put it, to be fair, to Windass. Marriott yeah. didn't give him a huge amount of options. It might have just been better if he'd tried and brought it in a bit and then tried and a shot at goal, yeah. and, you know, on the angle and maybe could have, I don't know, got a squeeze a corner out of it. I don't know. But it, again, my disappointment of Josh Windass just keeps growing, which, uh, hey, maybe that's a good segue into the second Norwich goal. Hey. Hey. So Buendia chips it straight at Windass. <laughs> One of the worst set pieces I've seen in a long, long time. Windass gets a complete rush of blood to the head and just runs straight up the middle of the pitch as fast as he can and is very, very easily tackled by Buendia, immediately handing him back the ball um, that he'd just given to him. Windass is a big Red Hot Chili Peppers fan, is he? Give it away, <laughs> give it away, give it away now. <laughs> Uh. <laughs> um, Buendia brings the ball forward plays it to Cantwell Palmer dives in weirdly I don't, I don't know what he was thinking was that Palmer or was that Hutchinson it was Palmer it was Palmer okay Palmer sort of made a desperate lunge when if he'd stood still he would have been perfectly placed to defend the ball from Cantwell or the you know defend Cantwell getting towards the goal but because he dives in Cantwell's got the freedom of the box and again similarly picks an absolute gorgeous uh effort in the top corner um this time sort of more of a curling effort than the uh the smashed one from from pookie i've called him the glass ceiling destroying cantwell um why is he a glass ceiling destroyer luke because he's the first six-year-old girl to play professional football I noted it was a great finish from the bail fancying ex-member of One Direction, Todd Campbell. It goes beyond cute member of a boy band. He just looks like a kind of slightly huffy girl, I think, to me. I want to say I think it's one of the better haircuts I think I've seen today. I have a big thing with seeing some really bad haircuts. I don't like what Sam Hutchinson is doing. (laughs) He's like gelling the hair to his head. There was a moment kind of early on in the second half. I think I made a note here. Uh, Hutchinson's haircut is crap. So is McLean's that we go to. Is everybody trying to look like a FIFA 15 player or something? I've always thought McLean's got a kind of, you know, a kind of um, teddy boy charm. (laughs) (laughs) Looks like a greaser. I, I, I... I, maybe I like him a bit more now because I'm thinking of the Adam Green song, Teddy Boys, <laughs> which Rich, uh, Richard Miller put me on to Adam Green. So I always I always think of that when I listen to Adam Green, Rich and I hanging out and Rich uh, playing me some, some, some new songs that were fun and inappropriate. And Rich, <laughs> Rich throwing some shapes while he drives. Lots of fun. Yeah. Good memories. Good to frighten people when you're driving. It's good to do. Any other haircuts that sort of caught your... No, uh, though I, I do want to say um, there is a fun <clears throat> fun bit with this this game is 
I mean, despite the fact that we scored from a scuffed from a free kick, effectively, mm. this was a bad game for free kicks. It was. Like it seemed like every time as a free kick, it seemed like the commentator I had tried to build it up as like a real moment, and then there's just so many bad free kicks. The seventy-second yeah. minute, the commentator de- decrees that Dowell has a very good left foot. Um, but I have I have summarized that it is a good left foot, but one that's never met the concept of a free kick as he spugs it into the wall. Uh, uh, yeah, a couple of times I really felt like maybe it was built up by the commentary, but I thought, oh great, here's a goal coming. I just assume Norwich must have people that are good at free kicks, but maybe they don't. Yeah, McLean made the conversion. You know, he put it. Yeah, he did. He did. On the 50, 51st minute mark. I can't remember how good Westwood is at uh, free kicks. He's rubbish at penalties, but I can't remember. Remember Lee Grant, if you got it on target, it was a goal. Yeah. Lee Grant was a really good goalkeeper, but he was rubbish at free kicks. Do you remember that goal he conceded against the Pigs at Hillsborough? The one where we drew one all and Potter scored? Oh, it yeah. was the one where Lee Williamson did this kind of cross shot. Yes. And then Grant just kind of flapped into the corner. Yeah. Yeah. It seems kind of endemic for Sheffield Wednesday. We have goalkeepers who don't do particularly well with free kicks. Yeah, it seems to be a... We've never really got the concept of why we're setting a wall and what the goalkeeper is setting the wall for. <laughs> you know? Well, both of both of Westwood's ones, I, I suppose you just have to make a choice, but both of Westwood's walls were basically like if it, if this is on target, it's a goal because I'm. I can see this little narrow window, and then the whole of the rest of the goal is free, basically. So if you hit that with any pace, it's a goal because I would never get across. But um, all of them hit the wall, so I mean, maybe when when it's that close, it is very difficult to get up and uh, up and down again, isn't it? Well, there is always that temptation, as we found from Windass, and it's just uh, you know why. Why try and why try and get it at the goal when you can raft it into your teammates' knackers? <laughs> Absolutely, lace it into uh, someone's testes. Um, <laughs> the last ch- sort of gasp chance of the game, uh, I, I got a little moment where I thought I got hopeful, Luke, and I thought we might have a good go at getting a draw. I thought around the uh, we had the long throw and Pelupesi had a chance in the 89th minute where he kind of cut in and again, probably should have passed, but he took the shot instead of passing to Marriott. I suppose you just feel like you've done all the hard work. Why would you give it to Marriott to mess up? I can, I can sympathize. (laughs) That's it for my notes from the, uh, from the game. Anything from you? Four kind of thoughts. I think think that's it. So I guess as the, the law of the land has gone, to what we do in this podcast, we've got to pick a villain, Rich. This is a tough one. This is a tough one. Are there any honourable mentions before we do that? I suppose Jordan Rhodes did what, you know, he did what it says on the 10, didn't he? He did. He did. I think we've got to, we've got to think about that, I guess. Right? Yeah. So that's that's good. It just... It just villain is difficult. It's just difficult because, like I've mentioned, you know, in terms of that John Rhodes goal, it felt like felt like an eternity ago. It did, it did. It felt like we scored a goal. It felt like we scored a goal on that same pitch uh, <laughs> seventy years ago, and then we got on the time machine and came back. 
I thought he did more than just score the goal though today. I thought first half Rhodes. he actually looked like a fairly effective frontman at times. Interesting. He won free kicks, which is I don't quite share that same opinion, but like okay. <laughs> or him relatively. <laughs> sure. Maybe all Sure. I, I, I'm going to put forward for mm. my villain. Mm. I think it's Liam Palmer. I think the goal comes from that side. So he's him or him or Aguide or both him and Aguide are complicit well, in the first goal. Mm. And then that second goal, he, he just didn't need to do. He was so rash and he didn't need to be. Um, I don't think it happens if he doesn't dive in. I don't think. Well, or it's a it's a lot harder for Cant- for Cantwell if he doesn't dive in. Interesting. Um, I so that was an interesting thing. I was chatting with my eldest brother, and he was like, "Irihide is crap." That's what he was saying. Mm, I don't like him there. Weirdly, he might be the best in the squad there, but I don't like him there on the left hand side. Right. <laughs> I. Because Irihide is also another one who's been linked with yeah. other clubs, and I don't, I don't know. I, I think I'd Apparently rather see him being eyed for international call-ups as well. Wow, being watched by uh, the, the the Dutch FA, Nigerian, and England potentially. Cheapers, cheapers. That's what they said on the commentary. I'd like to keep him, but I don't know if he wants to stay. I don't know if he's got better offers. Hmm. I don't think it's like, oh, we must keep this player as well. I don't know. Like, I mean, this is the thing. As part of his development, he's going to make errors. Yeah. Right? It's just, do we want to see him? I like how full throttle he is. I like how, whole, you know, wholehearted he plays the game. I but think he's also... a right-sided right centre-back. He's not a middle of a three. He's not the left side of a three. He's not mm. a left back. I think he's played left back a couple of times recently as well. He's none of those things. Yeah. But I think he might end up being a decent right back in time. It's just, yeah, as you say, do we have the patience? I think if we end up in League One, I think a season no. playing League One football at right back for him would be fantastic for his career. And maybe for us if we're there. We will be there. Well, yeah, we will be there. <laughs> it's whether we're there with him. Whether we're together. So you've gone for Palmer for your villain of the piece. I, th- I think, I think particularly that second goal. I'm going to go for Josh Windows. Oh yeah. That's again, sec- yeah, that second goal. The second goal. And then I think he was wasteful of the other chances that we had. I just, I'm so disappointed with Windows. I know. I, I feel that. I think that's a good shout. He's really good once every 15 or 20 games, it seems. He's really, really good in that game. And then I think there's also, if I can think of ratios, let's just do this off the top of my head. Once every 20 games, he's phenomenal. I think there's about, I think there's about 10 of those games. I think he's 6-7. Six, 6-7 seven. Six, seven with mixed output. And then I think there's another nine games out of the 20 where he's just disappointing. Yeah. I think he's, he's you know the phrase flatters to deceive? I think he's maybe the embodiment of that in a way. And, and no. I think Reach can be that as well. So the pair of them playing practically the same role does leave a lot of room for frustration. Just as a final thought for this game, to be honest, this sort of 
get performances is my worry in in a nutshell in that more feels like the right man but he's arrived too late i think this was much better than what we've watched all season but the result is the same <laughs> and again we're in that position it's a big if it's a huge if but if we play this well in other games we will get results but it's whether we can do that and even then it probably isn't enough there's not time is the thing that's against us here unfortunately I know, I know. 10 games to make up a five at this point a five point deficit it's more than yeah. that isn't it seven yeah. seven point deficit I mean it's massive and that's for one team that's for one and team and then I mean Rotherham I have a lot of faith in Rotherham to score more goals and win more games in Sheffield Wednesday so mm. I can probably see them leapfrogging Birmingham, but I, I don't know. It looks like the other teams like above that have enough in the tank to kind of eke enough results yeah, to start, keep going, including Coventry, who I thought would be really disappointing. Starting to pull away a little bit. Yeah, I wonder if there's going to be a St. Andrews double relegation header, you know, mm. a double bogey. Or Everybody lying on the floor crying rather than just one team. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Um, there you go fun that's a fun thought isn't it to end things on it is um, isn't it yeah uh, one positive um, I'll just say thank you very much to Jay Butler for a lovely review um, each each you know each positive there is a is a shot in the arm for us so thank you for that um, and hopefully not too long now till we'll all have a shot in our arm and uh, be allowed to <laughs> <laughs> mix mix with each other and as I say hug hug drunken strangers mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> so that's that's a bit of positivity isn't it Luke yeah yeah eventually there'll be some degree of normalcy re- returned <laughs> right let's pull out before this uh, before we get <laughs> maudlin again um, yeah. yeah it's it will at some point it will all be okay and the, each day that passes, we are closer to that day. <laughs> um, have a good week, Luke. You too, Rich. Cheerio, folks. See you. <laughs>